And that first reading is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The second reading is from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 to 46, the greatest commandment. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Tonight, I want to ask you, what is it all about? What is Christianity all about? What does it mean to be a Christian? You see, so often we make that answer to that question incredibly complicated. We make it about making sure we've got the same beliefs as everybody else. And we come really concerned about little things. And actually, it's very simple. It's breathtakingly simple, in fact. And it's summed up in the reading that we heard earlier. You see, the Pharisees were trying to trip Jesus up. They were trying to ask him a question that he wouldn't be able to answer. So they asked him, which commandment in the law is the greatest? I reckon they'll have expected him to pick one of the Ten Commandments. Say, thou shall have no other gods before me or something like that. Say that that was the greatest commandment. But no matter what commandment Jesus would have chosen, I reckon they'd have been ready with a load of reasons as to why he was wrong. He'd be condemned if he gave an answer that set him outside the law. But Jesus teaches that the law and obedience are not enough. You see, rules can be written with the best of intentions, but can lead us to be restricted. And instead, he knows that 
and that we need to live a life of love, not trap people with rules and regulations. And because Jesus will have known what they were up to, he'll have known that they were trying to trick him. He didn't fall into their trap. Instead, he quotes Deuteronomy. Not one of the Ten Commandments, um, but the general instructions that God gives to the nation as to how they are to live. It's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he added, and the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbour as you love yourself. Simple, isn't it? I saw a cartoon once where a woman, woman approached the minister after a service and she was asking him, do I really have to love my neighbour? Couldn't I just tolerate him? But you know, those two things are the essence of what it means to be a Christian. First and foremost, loving God. And as a result of that love, loving our neighbour as we love ourselves. So what does it mean, first of all, to love God? For the devout religious Jews of that time, loving God meant keeping the commandments. I'm sure you'll remember all of them in order. Yeah? No? And in case you don't, I have to confess, I can never remember them in order. Um, And, yeah, always forget certain ones. (laughs) I'll tell you which. But... um, (laughs) (laughs) Number one, having no other gods. Number two, not making idols. Three, not taking God's name in vain. Four, remembering the Sabbath day. Five, honouring your parents. Six, not killing others. Seven, not committing adultery. Not stealing. Not bearing false witness. And not coveting the things of your neighbour. Now, the first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. And the other six have to do with our relationships with other people. And Jesus summed them up in those two. And he he gave us that simplified version, love God and love your neighbour, which is a little bit easier to remember. I think you'll agree. So we're told to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. And thinking about that mind bit, we need to understand that God calls us to learn because there's always more to learn. There's always more to find out about God. There's always more to experience. But I heard a story about a professor. On the first day of the history of Western civilization, the tutor handed out a list of homework assignments. The class had a reading assignment for each day, and the tutor said, that he might give them a test over that day's reading any day. So they had to make sure that they'd done what they were meant to do. For a while, the class skimmed the assignment, and he never gave them a test. And then the day before Thanksgiving, because it was in America, he came and he gave them a piece of folded paper, and he said, I think it's time for a test. There was no one in the class who'd done the reading as they should, Who'd have guessed that they'd have a test on the day before Thanksgiving? They were begging each other for any scrap of information that they might be able to remember. And then the teacher offered a chance to delay the ensuing failure. And he said, I want to be fair. Before we do the test, does anyone have a question over the reading that you've done? 
They were desperately looking around in the hope that someone was to become a little bit more popular with his or her classmates and come up with a question that wasn't incredibly lame. <clears throat> but in the back of a room, a hand went up and said, can you tell us what you thought was most significant in the reading? The class grimaced, how could that question be any more transparent? But the teacher responded, that's a helpful question. He started writing on the board, telling them uh, the things about the reading that he appeared to believe they'd read. They were listening hard, clinging to any fact that they might come across and anything that might make the difference between an F and a D. After about half an hour of intensive lecture, he got the piece of paper and he said, let's, let's have the test, but does anyone else have any questions? So everyone looked around, more pained expressions. How could they ask another question that wasn't so blatant? But somebody did. And again, they said, how would you set all this in context? And so he stopped and he um, told them more details about the Crimean War. But he stopped about four, five minutes before it was time to end the class. He said, we still have time for a quick test, number one to 20. They still wished they weren't doing the test, but they knew that between 1854 and 1856, England, France, Turkey, Sardinia wins, Russia loses. And he unfolded the piece of paper and he said, here's your quick test. It was blank. There was nothing on there. He never intended to do a test in the first place. He smiled and said, have a happy Thanksgiving. And what the class that day most remembered, more than anything about the Crimean War, is how stunned they were that he just wanted them to learn. It wasn't about tests or grades or exams or anything serious like that. He just wanted them to learn. And you know, God wants us to learn. God calls us to love with our minds because when we search for the truth, then we're led to God. When we know more and more about him, we draw ourselves closer to him. And when we listen to the teachings of Jesus and live them out, then we become more and more the people that he wants us to be. But it's more than just learning. Here's the thing. In Moses' day and in Jesus' day as well, they had a different view of what love is, what love within the community meant. You see, in our day and age, we, have indiv we live in an individualised world, and when we hear that we should love God with all our heart and our soul, and that we should love our neighbour, we instantly think of like warm fuzzies, don't we? We think we're supposed to have warm feeling in our hearts, and if we're in a group of like-minded people, then we'll all be holding hands and singing Kumbaya. But as you can imagine, that's not at all what biblical writers had in mind. Love was never thought of as being subjective. It wasn't ever meant to be an emotional response in this context. They used love as a verb, not as a noun. Love meant action. Love meant living in a certain way, a way that distinguished God's people from all other people. Loving God meant worshipping the one true God, not hedging your bet and worshipping the God of the sun, the moon God, and the God of the harvest as well. Loving God meant throwing your lot in with the one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Loving God also meant honouring God's name, 
not speaking it lightly or rudely or using it as a swear word as some people do these days. Loving God meant respecting who God is and what God has done and speaking God's name carefully. Loving God meant resting on one day to celebrate God's good creation, to take time out of the endless difficulty of seeking out a living, to acknowledge the God of creation and to worship him. Loving God also meant that you loved your neighbour, which meant anybody around. Jesus clarified that with the story of the Good Samaritan. So you love God by loving your neighbour, by honouring your parents, by not killing other people, which sounds a little bit strange to us today, but in the brutal world where power was supreme, life was cheap, and scores were settled by who lived and who died. The point is that life is sacred, and human life is especially so. And love for God extends to the person sitting next to us because he or she is made in God's image. Loving God also meant that you didn't steal from your neighbour, that you don't lie about your neighbour, and that you don't even envy the things that your neighbour has, because that might tempt us in order to in that context, to kill them and to steal the stuff that they had. And it's all interconnected. So loving God is action. And our love for God is expressed in ways that honour God and honour those who are made in God's image. And Jesus did a lot of things to show us what loving God meant. To those wanting to know where to draw the line on who my neighbour is, as I said before, he told the story of the Good Samaritan, which breaks down all barriers to who is your neighbour. To those who thought that the neighbours were not the afflicted, Jesus touched the lepers. He made blind eyes see again. He made lame legs walk. To the woman caught breaking the commandment not to commit adultery, Jesus extended love and not condemnation. By telling her, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. For those who don't understand what it means to love, Jesus spoke of his own sacrifice by saying, greater love has no man than this, that a man may lay down his life for his friends. So, love God, love one another. But what does this whole loving your neighbour as yourself thing really mean? Can we really ever truly love our neighbour? Well, in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, Don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbour. Act as if you did. And as soon as we do this, we'll find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you'll presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you'll find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you'll find yourself disliking him less. Loving your neighbour is such a massive thing, such a huge challenge. But think of it this way. If you love someone, you tell them. And if you don't tell them, then they never know. But not only do you tell them, but you show them as well, don't you? And it's like that with churches too. If we truly love the community that we're part of, and I hope that we do, then we need to show it. You see, James wrote about that, criticising those Christians who told the hungry and cold to go be warmed and well-fed, without lifting a finger to give them something to eat or something to wear. Because love expresses itself in ways that are understandable, in ways that can be seen, and in the way 
that we are with people. You see, we need to put love in action. That's what loving your neighbour is all about. It's about doing the practical things. It's about taking the time out to care about them as individuals in the way that God has cared for us. So Christianity, it's quite simple really, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. But before I finish, I want us to take notice about what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say serve God. He didn't say obey God. He said love God. From start to the very end of the Bible, it's a story of love. It's first the story of God's love for his people. um, And it's then the story of God's people being invited into a relationship with him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind is less a commandment and more of an invitation. It's an invitation to love the one who has always loved us. It's an invitation to become a little bit more human. For we are created in the image of God for one reason above all others, that we might love God and others as God loves us. God doesn't ask us to love our neighbour with a perfect love of a perfect heart because God knows that we're not perfect. It's the crooked love of crooked hearts that God asks us to share with our neighbours. But we might find that in trying to love, we succeed in loving. And we'll find that in the end, by loving our neighbours, it's not an accomplishment, it's God's gift. For only by the grace of God are we able to show love to other people at all. And those two commands, loving God and loving your neighbour, Well, they kind of go hand in hand. We can't actually really separate them. Because if we can come to church and we can sing and we can praise God, while we have hatred in our heart for one of our neighbours, then there's something wrong with our relationship with God. We can be the biggest financial supporter in the church. We can be the most faithful attendee that has ever walked through those doors. We can be the most gifted musician that the church has ever heard But if we have hatred in our heart, then we're not pleasing God. In fact, we could even go as far as to say we question whether we really loved God in the first place. If we think we can love God without loving our neighbour, then we're fooling ourselves. We might not be, um, well, we're just trying to fool ourselves, really. If we think because we love our neighbour, do good works and treat them in ways that we'd like to be treated ourselves... If we think that's the same as loving God, then we're mistaken there too. We've got to first love God. And if that's love, love is real, it'll flow out of our lives into the lives of others. We've got to have a passion for Jesus, which will be evident in the way that we live our lives. So who is your neighbour? Well, he's a rich man. He's a poor man. He's a professional and he's the amateur. He lives in the mansions, he lives in the slums. He wears fine clothes and he wears rags and smells like the gutter. He's got money to give and he's in need of money himself. He's your friend, he's your enemy. He's a Christian, he's the atheist. He's a man who tells you things that make you happy and he's a man who talks about you behind your back because our neighbour is anyone and everyone. 
So to answer the question in the cartoon I mentioned earlier about whether we can just tolerate our neighbour, well, no. It's not enough to merely tolerate our neighbour. We must love them as we love ourselves. And we must do for them and to them that which we would have done to us. So being a Christian, it's not easy. It is difficult. It takes commitment and it's sometimes really quite frustrating when we've got to love people who don't necessarily love us back. But just remember that we love because God first loved us. So love your neighbour, love God even, first of all, and love your neighbour as yourself. Let's pray together. Father God, we ask that you will teach us what it means to love. Teach us what it means to be loved. To know that your will for our well-being is deep in your heart. That no matter what happens, and no matter how far we stray, no matter how often we forget, you will never forget us. You will never give up on us, and you will never stop loving us. And teach us to rely on that love and rest in it. To let ourselves be nurtured and grow because of it. And then to let that love flow through us to others around us. First to those who are nearest to us and then to those who are further away. Help us to find ways to respect and love them so that together we may discover that fullness of life which is your deepest desire to share with us. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.